Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, everyone. It's Helen here, the voice of Azu, Enola, and Laverne. Today... I'm here to tell you about Woe Begone, a podcast launched on the RQ Network. Woe Begone is a weekly horror sci-fi audio drama series about the nature of power and the implications of linear time. Woe Begone follows Mike Walters, who discovers a mysterious and violent online game. What begins as an exploration of an alternate reality game with real-life consequences quickly becomes a search for the technology that makes the game possible. Each episode has a unique soundtrack composed by creator and writer Dylan Griggs. Listen to Woe Begone, spelled woe period begone, wherever you listen to podcasts. Or check out woebegonepod.com for episodes and transcripts. Have fun and see you later. I think it was also weirdly the inspiration for the Ents in Lord of the Rings because Tolkien was so disappointed by the woods of Dunsinane moving because it was just people holding twigs. And he's like, that's not a wood moving. I'll show you a wood moving. Rusty Quill presents Enthusiasm. Hello friends and fans and welcome to Enthusiasm, the show where we talk about a few of our favourite things. I am your host, Helen Gould, one of the best rusty quillers and today we're talking about Shakespeare and I am extremely glad to be joined by Grace, Imogen, Johnny and Maddie. As always, we shall introduce ourselves alphabetically, which means, Grace, you are first up. Can you give us your pronouns and tell us what you do? Hello, uh, my name's Grace. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm a scriptwriter um, for various different things and currently for the very exciting Roman Cry Havoc uh, dramedy. Excellent. So you're properly part of the Rusty Quill family. Hooray! Hooray! Next up, Imogen, what are your pronouns and what do you do? Hi, I'm Imogen. My pronouns are she, her. 
I currently voice uh, Imogen, the evil ship's computer, on the stellar spin-off Compulsory Film Appreciation, and I am Minnie on The Town Whispers. I feel like several fans will try and argue with you about whether Imogen is evil or not. Oh, no, she is. I I know what goes on in her head. (laughs) (laughs) I know what she really thinks. (laughs) (laughs) But she helped our lovely clone David Seven, and that's what really matters. Did she? Yeah, (laughs) I think so. Or did she help herself? I can't remember. (laughs) The end result is that David is probably a bit happier, which is all we really wanted. The results justify the means, which is something Imogen says all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, Johnny, what are your pronouns and what do you do? Well, uh, as the bard once said, uh, hi, I'm Johnny Sims. Uh, (laughs) Pronouns... Um, writer, narrator of Magnus Archives, and I'm just still kind of bumming around Rusty Towers. Maddie, what are your pronouns and what do you do? I'm Maddie. My pronouns are she, her. I am the former lead editor on Stellar Firma and the current director of the actual play podcast, Chapter Multiverse. Yes! It's going to be so much fun. We're going to do some of our first recordings soon. Yeah! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited. Also, it's it's very funny to me. I just saw my sound wave, so when I did E, and it's just the <laughs> smallest, tiniest little noise. But I am indeed very excited. Yeah. All right then. The Bard, old Shakes, old Big Willie. <laughs> Let's start off with the easiest possible question, which is, what's your favourite play? Go. I don't think that's the easiest question. I I know I'm 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 being cruel. Don't worry. I mean I know it's I, not easy. I, it's it's Macbeth. Just because I mean I know Macbeth. it's I mean I know it's a really like basic answer, but it's Macbeth. It's just an absolute banger. It's got everything. It's got witches. It's got murders. It's got blood. It's got some really cracking jewels. Uh, <laughs> It's got, like, whoever they've got, the star power, like, leading actor, they get to make, like, a severed of his head to, like, <laughs> hold up at the end. And that's always a treat. Uh, it's, it's, just a, it's, just, it's just the best one, in, in my humble opinion. Yeah, seconded. Yeah. I would say Macbeth is, is a corker. Um, it's full of guilt and murder and ambition and witches. So, yeah, what else could you ask for? And ghosts. I think yes. it was also weirdly the inspiration for the Ents in Lord of the Rings because Tolkien was so disappointed by the woods of Dunsinane moving because <laughs> it was just people holding twigs. And he's like, that's not a wood moving. I'll show you a wood moving. <laughs> I love that idea. <laughs> Macbeth definitely has the best, um, I reckon the best soliloquy in any Shakespeare, which is the tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow bit. Mm. I've actually got a picture of that on my computer wallpaper. It's just a picture of Patrick Stewart looking at his own hand and that just that like sort of, I don't know, 10 line soliloquy. And sometimes when I think my writing's getting a bit rubbish, I just read that to remind me like what really good looks like just to sort of reset. It's sort of like reformatting your brain Hmm. computer i too have that um on a poster and it's a poster weirdly it's like a poster of the underground at canary wharf (laughs) Mm. um and it's the the escalators as you go out which when i was working um at canary wharf i used to go every day in this like mad commuter rush and think of those words about you know life creeping on this petty pet i was very happy um and it was very (laughs) cheerful (laughs) 
Although it's always that soliloquy is always kind of weird to me because they they start it halfway through a sentence. Mm. I mean, Shakespeare does that a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, it's because because it, it's it's like it's talking about Lady Macbeth having you know yeeted herself. And it's like, oh, she should have died hereafter. There would have been time for I forget such a such a, what? Such a something tomorrow, and tomorrow, and like, and so it sort of it flows into. But because it's, I mean, it's like a lot of Shakespeare like soliloquies and lines, which is fascinating because they've achieved such like a standalone cultural presence as these mm. monologues, as these soliloquies, or, or these famous lines that. Often, like when you actually go and see them in in like a, a, a production, like you won't you won't actually necessarily notice when they turn up because yeah. they'll be just like flowing through. Right, right, like mm. the bit at the end of To Be or Not to Be, where it's just oh, and soft you now, the fair Ophelia, and it's like oh yeah, yeah. hang on, that's. <laughs> <laughs> it, or, it, or, it's it's to be fair, it's not just Shakespeare. Like it, you, you get this with a lot of like famous quotes from movies. Like mm. there'll be a way that the culture remembers them as being mm. delivered. And then sometimes you actually go back and watch a really old yeah. movie and you're like, oh, that's not that's not how they said it at all. In the case of this particular one, I think it works amazingly because it's like mm. he's sort of talking about just like life. He's just he's he's just talking about the thing that's happened. And it's like his entire brain has just been kind of like sent into a cartwheel by this act. And so he kind of jumps from the prosaic to the profound without even bothering to put in a full stop. You know, I think it's like... Like I totally take your point, and he does it all the time, and I think it's you know often hilarious. But in this particular case, I think it's it feels like it's saying something really important about loss. Yeah, I mean, like to me, that soliloquy always like I love a performance of it that's just completely hollow, <laughs> that's just like uh, just absolutely burned out. Like, yeah. well, I'm super guilt ridden. My wife's dead, and there's a ghost. There's a bunch of ghosts. <laughs> That's rubbish. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's all it's all a bit much, isn't it? At that point, poor chap. <laughs> Macbeth. Poor old Macbeth. It's all a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> so, Grace, is Macbeth one of your favourites then, or is uh, would you choose something else? Um, it's not actually. Um, I mean, I do oh. really like it. Obviously, it's you know, it's like one of the greatest plays by you know Shakespeare. But I, my, I think I probably. Can I have one per category? Or do I have to just pick <laughs> <laughs> We've got time. I'll give it to you. All right. Much Do About Nothing for the comedies. And yeah. I'm going to have um, Henry V, which, just to be clear, massively disapprove of all of the politics, but, oh, it's really good. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Brilliant speeches. If you ever want to persuade yourself to, I don't know, invade France, that's probably the one to go for. Um, and uh, <laughs> This podcast but, does not endorse invading France. Just yeah, standing on the Eurostar platform, muttering <laughs> to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I reckon, and then for tragedies, and I think if I had to pick my all-out favourite, it's Hamlet. I know it's like the, like, mm. you know, the single on the album choice, but, like, it is, I think it's because every single time I see it, it's completely different play, and I think mm. there's um there's a kind of uh, there's just there's he's just this amazingly complex bloke, and the dialogue's always the same. But he's he can be Ben Whishaw as a snotty teenager who you just think, oh for <laughs> God's sake, isn't anyone going to do any parenting? Or he can be <laughs> Kenneth Branagh, this like great statesman, or he can be, and in my opinion, correctly this like unbelievably 
massively intellectually isolated David Tennant playing yes. this like, deeply lonely man who's just obviously massively clinically depressed and has just zero support network. I just think, I mean, oh, it's amazing. And it, it has its its flaws, obviously, but I don't think that I don't think that means it's not perfect. So, for example, it has like literally my favorite ever example of lazy exposition. <laughs> there's a bit. Of the start, <laughs> yes. There's a bit of the start where um, one of the guards in scene one says to the other one, "Well, as you know, Fortinbras has just invaded Norway." And it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, mate, nice one. <laughs> I mean, I, I, there's a so like for me, Hamlet. It's it's not my favorite to watch. But it is my favourite to analyse mm. because it is fascinating. Because like the whole point of Hamlet is like to to my eyes is that it's a it's a, like a revenge tragedy protagonist who categorically does not want to be <laughs> in a revenge tragedy and like knows he's in a revenge tragedy mm. and like is aware that everything like both textually and metatextually is all pushing him towards this. It's like I don't I don't I don't really want to do any of this there's a whole there's i forget there's a which scene but there's one on the boat which is often cut but it's like he's literally like ah oh, the story wants me to go back and do a bunch of revenge and i really would like to not do that and then at the end he's like okay well i guess i'll just Go and do a bloody revenge then i mean my my hot take on hamlet is that i don't like it at all and I was really fed up with Hamlet the entire time. And I was just like, shut up. Just <laughs> kill them or don't. But just- this is, I, think, <laughs> I think this is kind of what I, what I actually like about like the lazy exposition and that sort of thing up top is that it is because it is written for an audience that absolutely knows how a bloody mm. revenge tragedy is meant to go. Who's like... Who are yeah. like watching the Duchess of Malfi and being like, yes, yes, <laughs> dance of the dead, murders up top. It's just like, yeah. So this is this is a revenge tragedy, and they're like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> and then Hamlet walks in, and is like, oh. mm. Hamlet walks in, is like, I don't wanna. Yeah. <laughs> See, I would agree with Johnny. I think that the the I think the least interesting thing to do with Shakespeare, and it's already interesting, is watch it. I think the hmm. most interesting thing to be is be in it. Then is to analyze it and like read it, and then is to just watch it. Like although they're all great, I think that watching it is is much less fun than the other two. Mm, I think that's on, true. on my own with that opinion. Obviously, that's and that's no. Fine. I like that. <laughs> I I think that like I basically I think like I've seen a lot of really mediocre Shakespeare's that you know full snooze fest, uh, <laughs> and I've seen a couple or who. Uh, I've seen a couple of really good Shakespeare's. There was a, a production uh, years back, The Globe, of uh, The Comedy of Errors. Famously, not a good one. Famously mm-hmm. hilarious? Uh, what are you talking about? What, no, no, <laughs> the Comedy of Errors? <laughs> yeah, I know, two sets of twins. The thing is, you haven't understood it. Two sets of twins. The thing is, he looks swapping. like his yeah. servant. Yeah. <laughs> they look like each other. Okay. Well, the thing is, this was, an ama- this was a brilliant production because what they'd done is they had they had done it as literally benny hill style ah. sort of so with chase sequences and swanny whistles <laughs> which was really really funny and like because it because it is that very specific sort of like mm. contrived farce mm. that framing meant that every one of the jokes massively landed yeah it's mm. essentially who's on first just longer like it's <laughs> the one joke 
And like oh. with Shakespeare, there's so many of the plots that he just completely nicked wholesale from other <laughs> things, <laughs> and everyone's just like, he was a genius. But like, but the genius was choosing which things to steal, like David Bowie. Originality is overrated. Because I studied Latin at school because I was a nerd, and I was looking at Plautus plays, and there is one about twins and all this kind of thing, and it was just like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, this is exactly the same. <laughs> but like. At the time, uh, like originality, in inverted commas, wasn't really thought about. It wasn't. It wasn't considered a, a, a virtue in a piece. Like you look at a lot of. I want to say it's uh, Chaucer, which is you know, hundred, two hundred years before. But like Chaucer, at one point, makes up some stories in the Canterbury Tales, and he goes on long, long explanations of where he heard this story and like (laughs) makes up an entire like backstory for him knowing this story to make sure people didn't think he was just making his own stuff up (laughs) and so like a lot of that era like reinterpretation and taking old stories and like putting them out there in new and interesting forms was what art and creativity was and in some ways it still is with the so many franchises that we have mm, yeah. <laughs> i mean I, I personally i kind of agree i think that like it's originality is is cool but often often the best stuff is taking and mixing and reinterpreting yeah because you don't live in a vacuum and you are constantly surrounded by inspirations Mm. and Mm. to kind of try and pull everything out of your own head is impossible because you are (laughs) inevitably no man is an island is that a quote Uh, it is a quote but i'm not sure from whom it's uh, john dunn oh ask not for whom the bell tolls Um, Maddie, which one's your favourite? I have to agree with Grace and go with Hamlet as well because I'm a massive goth baby (laughs) and I just love being miserable. (laughs) Yeah, I really relate to the kind of existential angst and Mm. I also love how funny Hamlet the character is and how he's just kind of doing intellectual rings around everyone and because um i was a massive fan of david tennant's doctor in doctor who growing up as well i noticed a lot of parallels between the way he played the doctor and the way he played hamlet and Mm. this is just like complete nerdery but um he just yeah the the sense of i am so much cleverer than everyone else in this room but i'm just gonna let everyone believe that they're they're on my level kind of thing which is mm. very arrogant and not very attractive but i find mm. very interesting yeah well you know what i do, i blame david tennant for tricking a whole generation of nerds into thinking hamlet's not just a big dweeb <laughs> <laughs> he is big a- whiner <laughs> i love a dweeb me do you know what? I think that's a good point for which to take a break. And we will be back after this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hello everyone, this is Helen, the voice of Azu from Rusty Quill Gaming and host of our chat show, Enthusiasm. If you haven't heard yet, Rusty Quill has a brand new original audio drama, Trice Forgotten. Trice Forgotten is a swashbuckling found family adventure created by Nemo Martin. Alestes likes to keep her head down while she works as a merchant, couriering deliveries and carrying travellers to destinations across the seas. Only, as her travellers gradually become permanent crewmates, she realises her ship has become a floating museum, a laboratory, a vault of repatriated treasures and a chef's kitchen. After spending most of her life with the understanding that nothing changes, no matter how hard you fight, Alestes is faced with a choice. Will she use her new network of allies to build a safe harbour and potentially a future for her new community, or will she once again put her head down and drown in her sea of excuses? Trice Forgotten is the latest audio drama from Rusty Quill, creators of multiple award-winning podcasts including The Magnus Archives and Rusty Quill Gaming. Search for Trice Forgotten, that's T-R-I-C-E, wherever you listen Listen to your podcasts or visit www.rustyquill.com for more information. 
And welcome back, as usual, with these recordings. We started talking about relevant things in the middle of the break. So, <laughs> Johnny, you played Henry VIII, which is a play I did not know existed. Uh, yeah, like I was—I mean, I was saying I haven't actually really—I don't think I've actually really read because everyone was talking about Richard the Third, and I'm like, I've never actually read or seen that one. I'm, I don't know his histories very well. Because the only ones I've I've encountered are ones that I actually was in, and one of them is I I, I played Henry the Eighth in Henry the Eighth, and I remember nothing, <laughs> nothing out my head. I remember the venue very well because it was a really nice like chapel space and had really nice acoustics. When I said whatever the hell I said in Henry the Eighth, bring me another wife. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I went to watch Henry the Eighth in Spanish once. I don't speak any Spanish, but the globe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> did you learn any during the course of the play? No, I didn't. I also didn't learn what happens in Henry VIII. Um, oh. <laughs> the Globe did this really cool thing. It was for, oh, I don't know, some sort of centenary probably, um, where they did like 40 Shakespeare plays in 40 languages, something like that. Wow. Um, which was really cool. And for reasons that remain obscure to me, I decided that the one I would go and see was Henry VIII, a play I do not know at all, in Spanish, a language I do not speak, um, but like which also, <laughs> yeah. So I got to about I don't know, I like I don't know halfway through Act One. No, I think I must have got to the end of the to the interval because I'm definitely not the sort of person who has the confidence to walk out in the middle. And I think I was just like, do you know what? I just I feel like I should be getting something out of this cultural experience, but what I'm getting out of it is that I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> I don't know how much more you've got on out of it if it was in English, to be honest. Like, I, what I remember about Henry VIII is being in it and being like, this doesn't mention any of the stuff I know about Henry really? VIII. <laughs> like, yeah, wow. yeah, like the, the, the six wives thing, don't think it really comes up. Because there's loads of really famous stuff about Henry VIII. I think if I if memory serves and it categorically does not, it's definitely more concerned with his relationships with other dudes and whether he's going to have them murdered or not, mm. um, and and like a lot of like the country politics that hasn't really lingered in the historical mm. imaginings of Henry VIII, rather than like the religious and wifely stuff that, that, has, has, that people remembered. I think, oh. like I said, <laughs> maybe you're making it all up. I could be making it all up. This is, what, 12, 13 years on? Yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all gone. I wonder if there was some sort of, like, contemporary political reason why he focused on all of that so mm. well, presumably it was elizabeth would have been the queen at the time so probably not lingering on the like yeah on all the massive all the wife murdering yeah, of her mom. wife situation extra yeah. time multi-wife yeah <laughs> when was it yeah, set was... was it set when her mum was his wife or was it i don't know why i'm asking you for it <laughs> twice <in the> <laughs> <laughs> Writing on a postcard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maddie, any facts about Henry VIII, the play that you've got stored away? I half remembered a fact um, during the break and then quickly did a stealth Google and oh. found out I was right. Yeah! <laughs> Ooh, go on. So in June 1613, the globe burned down during a performance of Henry VIII because they were using some cannons as part of the play and like the sparks ignited on the thatched roof and it burned down. 
Yeah, I was going to say, wasn't it made of wood? Yeah, so um, Henry VIII, both a bad play and bad luck for the theatre, I guess. So how come Macbeth is the one that you're not supposed to say? Why isn't Henry VIII the one you're not meant to mention? Oh, because in Macbeth, you don't want the theatre to burn down during it. (laughs) Yeah, that would ruin it. (laughs) That's a very, very good point. Because I reckon they probably just like, look, we've got this play. It's a dud. We all know it's a dud. How are we going to keep the audience until Act 2? I know, live cannons! <laughs> or a bear. <laughs> well, I mean, it was like t- to be fair, it it was a lot of that. Like it was all it was it was a lot of gimmicks mm-hmm. and like one of the things I really really love about Shakespeare is like you're like oh well, you know the, the the political obviously like political context for a lot of his plays is is important, but a lot of the, like well I wonder what the reason this one was written is like it was being paid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My favorite thing about Shakespeare is how much of a sellout he was <laughs> uh, and just like absolute shell for like whatever because he that that he was there to get paid and i really respect that <laughs> um, my, one of my favorite things is in uh 12th night uh, at the character antonio keeps bringing up that the inn they are staying in is called the elephant like keeps mentioning it <laughs> out of the blue for no reason, and like is co- and is goes on about how how like comfortable it is, and don't forget we're staying at the sign of the elephant, <laughs> uh, and like you will never be able to convince but me it's not product placement <laughs> that, there, that there wasn't like a, a pub or an inn called the Elephant nearby who slipped Shakespeare a, a few quid to uh, to drop it in the play. You'll never be able to convince me that didn't happen. Amazing. Oh. Yeah, what a legend. I mean, he was like, <laughs> you know, he was politically super conservative. He, he like wrote loads of his plays to kind of please whoever the current monarch was, you know. But mm. I think my favourite kind of thing along those lines, I've no idea if this is true, it might be massively apocryphal, is that um, Hamlet obviously was famously a huge flop because like introspective whining wasn't a thing at the time. <laughs> and then the next play he wrote was called As You Like It. And it was ah. <laughs> and it's just this like straight up, you know, ordinary like right here we go. It's a comedy. It's got a funny dog in. I expect that sort of thing. And it is just simply like right, oh, yeah, right, you like you then. like laughing, do you? you like you like fun marriages? Fine. You don't want to watch three hours people. of someone introspecting and agonising. Right, well, you know, didn't didn't like you either. <laughs> One thing I wanted to talk about is the fact that obviously we're still watching his plays today there have been like a million different adaptations of like almost all of them and i wonder if anyone has like a favorite adaptation that they've seen like whether it's like one of the movie versions where it's only lightly based on it like if 10 things i hate about you and stuff like that or or whether it's that baz Luhrmann romeo and juliet one that's so very baz pretty and romeo and juliet is uh I, I i always forget his name but the guy who plays mercutio yeah. is just he took wonderful. us all by storm we watched that in uh in school i saw a really good production of macbeth um and johnny you might have actually been there it was in edinburgh in like 2012 and it was by a polish group that did it with motorcycles and fire and stilt walkers and lopped off no, the third I missed act. This. it was I missed so this good macbeth. it was it was okay the i'm apologies to people who speak polish it was a bureau podroja uh i think a really famous production and it was so cool outdoors dark flames they burn down like the whole set at the end it was amazing oh they lop off the 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 final act so there's no kind of slightly ooh, no man can harm me who is of woman born which is a bit 
isn't it? Um, oh no! But I like the, the moment. <laughs> the moment where Macduff's like a uh, cesarean mother, uh, <laughs> and Macbeth's like, oh shit! <laughs> yeah. They lop off all of that, so it's just this pure psychological drama because you don't have, you don't know if the witch's prediction would have come true, and it could still just be chance. Like they could just be really, really good at guessing. Like it doesn't have to be magical, Macbeth. I think. I think it's better if it isn't. But yeah, that was an amazing production. I've just found out who played Mercutio in the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet. His name is Harold Perrineau. Yes. He is also Link in The Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions. Yeah. And he is also in uh, Lost. Michael, yeah. As uh, Michael Dawson. I have a big soft spot for, even though there are some aspects of it I'm not so keen on, I have a big soft spot for the Kenneth Branagh Much Do About Nothing um, because Kenneth Branagh and um, Emma Thompson just give off such bisexual energy and mm. I love it. <laughs> the bit I'm not so keen on is the Watchmen. I don't think they're that funny. Um, I think Michael Keaton was a weird choice. Mm. Um, <laughs> I had to, yeah, I had to look it up because I was like, I know it was someone famous who was like the main Watchman, but I cannot remember. Then I was like, oh yeah, Michael Keaton, huh? <laughs> um, but also you get Keanu Reeves as as the villain oh my in God. it. It's Don he, John. He yeah, as Don John, and he's just yeah. so emo. He's like, I am oh. not a man of many words, and yet I think <laughs> I would rather be a canker in a hedge than a rose in his grace. And it's just, it's yeah, it's such a weird mix of people, and it's got Denzel Washington in it. It's got the guy from Dead Poets Society in it, and they're just having a lovely time in Italy. Yeah. Mm. They are having a really oh. lovely time. Time, aren't they it's yeah. really you can really tell as well like it's just like they're just obviously all really happy they're just like we're just gonna make a really really nice film it's not gonna do anything like super like interpretatively interesting but that's actually fine because yeah. this is an accessible lovely pro- adaptation of an accessible lovely play yeah for sure love that for them mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah and we've obviously already mentioned the david Tennant hamlet which is oh. one of my absolute favourites and I was also lucky enough to see the David Tennant Catherine Tate Much Ado in the theatre and and that was on the same trip as I went to the Doctor Who experience as well so (laughs) (laughs) there's clearly a running theme for me of Shakespeare, David Tennant, Doctor Who Lincoln and yeah just the the 80s debauchery of it all was Mm. wonderful and he was like wearing a kind of naval uniform at one point and there was a bit where they got covered in paint and yeah it was just a great laugh and they did you know, there's a the song in it um the kind of hey nonny nonny song they did it as like mm. an 80s pop song so oh lovely it's very fun what do you reckon imogen yeah i really i say i really enjoyed the uh polish motorcycle macbeth that was super cool yeah um, i very much enjoyed uh emma rice's production at the globe of 12th night um mm. which was so much fun that was part of her like summer of love a couple of years ago um and that was just utterly joyous <laughs> brightly coloured ridiculous I cannot remember the name of the actor playing Malvolio but she was amazing so much energy and so much heart because actually Malvolio is this tragic figure it's, so when she's like oh she loves me like so tragic and so like genuine in that love and it makes you think like oh, actually like love is the one thing none of us can resist this is like mm. a real low trick to play on someone. But yeah, it was it was so much fun. Oh, one of my favorites was I went to see a production of Midsummer Night's Dream. It was done via six foot tall puppets. Like as soon as they enter the fairy realm, the puppets appeared. <laughs> oh, wow. So hang on. So were the puppets 
the humans to make them feel small or were the puppets the fairies? I think it was everyone. I think everyone was suddenly a puppet. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) There was also a dance element to it as well and lots of music. It was a very bizarre experience, but I've never forgotten it because they were massive, these things. They they had such big heads. Well, you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's one of my faves. When I was 18, I managed to get on a trip from my mum's school that was going up to see the Macbeth starring Sean Bean. Oh. And that was... Oh, he was very good at being Macbeth. <laughs> I bet he was. And he dies at the end. Which yeah. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. You know. So, spoilers for Macbeth there. <laughs> I'm not going to put spoiler warnings for Shakespeare plays. <laughs> yeah. You've had centuries to catch up, guys. <laughs> I find it really, really difficult to pick favourite adaptations because it's always like just like one or two things that are about it that are perfect. Like, I can't... I imagine it's the moment that we finish this conversation, I'll immediately think of an example. But generally, I can't think of something that's like absolutely everything about it is perfect. It's usually like this particular performance or or whatever. So I really, really like it when somebody manages to do a performance of a Shakespeare tragedy where they make the the female lead have a personality. I went to see Lenny Henry play Othello oh, mm. years ago. must have been... Oh, it must have been about a decade ago, I think. Yeah, it was a while back because I remember being excited. (laughs) Yeah, it was absolutely, oh, fantastic. The person who played Desdemona, whose name, I don't know, like just managed to turn this absolute drip of a character into someone charming and funny and young. It was the first time I found a way into that character. The thing about Desdemona is she gets a lot of dialogue. You know, she's not like one, she's not like an Ophelia who's like, sort of technically the most important woman in the play, but she's in, you know, a handful of scenes, really. Desdemona's in it a lot, but because her whole thing is like, I am perfect. She's like (laughs) super, super dull. But this, this, the way that they did the performance, they had her, they made her playful. And like, I remember there's this moment where it's just after Iago started to get into Othello's head and he's sort of standing in the front of the stage doing this really good kind of intense brooding. And Desdemona comes up to see him and her line is, how is it with you, my lord? And every time I've seen that performed, it's always been, oh, how is it with you, my lord? But um, the way that, that, that she did it, she kind of like stomps up to him doing an impression of his like serious pose and kind of goes, mm. oh, how is it with you, my lord? And it's just, it's the only time I've believed in that relationship as something that exists, that, that could actually be a marriage rather than mm. just, you know, like these two people obviously really fancy each other and they got married very quickly and now it's all falling apart. Whereas in this performance, because she was so like real and because she understood him and because she had that kind of nuance, you're like, oh, you're a person. I can totally understand how you could be like one half of a marriage. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I find it very difficult to pick like a particular adaptation. Although, 10 Things I Hate About You is cracking. <laughs> Great film. Yeah. We are starting to come towards the end of the episode. And we're going to end on another very simple question. And that question is, why do you think we're still talking about Shakespeare today? Like, we've still got so many opinions after like 400 years. Like, is it just because he wrote so much and so the odds are high that we ha- like the will have experienced it or is it that he's just that good because i don't think he's like extraordinarily good there are other playwrights that i would say are just as good 
I don't know. What do you think? What do you all think? Well, I think there are three reasons. Ooh. Firstly, I think it's because we've still got him. So he is massively important to us culturally in a way that means that like so much of what else we've done in terms of our artistic output is sort of a footnote to Shakespeare that means that for that reason he he remains important because we're still sort of like in his wake. Um mm. secondly I think he he is absolutely amazing. Um and thirdly I think it's enough of a blueprint that we can make his plays be whatever we need them to be. Ah. Like I think there's a reason that we we don't remember Henry VIII. Um, and it's probably because it doesn't do this job. Like Henry wrote, he wrote, mm. what was it, 37 or 27 plays? Like loads anyway. 37, of which, I think. 37, right? Of which we remember, about like, what, 15, really? Like how many can you name without like consulting Wikipedia? Like, you know, probably... I mean, we can head. probably name like... Mm. Yeah, no, can, right, them, but, but, but okay. But culturally speaking, there's, there's like 10 that's important, right? And, and it'll be because <laughs> I reckon... <laughs> Yeah, massive sweeping statement. I'm going to stand by it. It'll be because those are the ones which are broad enough that they can be whatever we need them to be. So our Shakespeare is not the Shakespeare that Gladstone understood. And he's Mm. not the Shakespeare that Pepys understood. He's the one that we need now. And if he stops being versatile enough for us, we'll just ditch him. That makes a lot of sense. Because like, there's so many different iterations of the character of Robin Hood throughout the ages, Mm. depending on the cultural need at the time. Um, So yeah, that, that makes absolute sense. And I think another thing that I like about Shakespeare that kind of makes him continue to be relevant is in his best works... Even if it's a tragedy, there's some comedy in it. And even if it's a comedy, there's some tragedy in it. And that's Mm. something that I take very much to heart in all the kind of storytelling I do. It's not going to be as impactful unless you have something to contrast um, the other side off of. So like in Macbeth, there's like, there's a funny doorman. (laughs) (laughs) And and in Much Ado About Nothing, they fake a woman's death. Um, And like, the thing is, because the thing about that, though... Was like they had to because they had a clown, like because it was <laughs> yeah. all because it yeah. was all written for like the same gang, yeah. Like yeah, and they had true. a couple of clowns, and like it's a horrible tragedy. But then I, f- oh, I forget his name, but like this, the, the the famous clown who was like Shakespeare's it's the Falstaff bloke, isn't it? Yeah, is is like so. Uh, am I making any jokes about bums? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I reckon? That's another reason why he's still so popular. Actually, is because he was writing for the crowd you know like if people bored they'd leave so obviously so you're absolutely right you know it's got to be funny and it's got to be serious but also I, I thought it's a really interesting point that you made about Robin Hood Maddie like it sort of links to something that I think it was also you said this right at the start about how Shakespeare basically nicked all of his stories from you know ancient oral tradition stories that's the thing isn't it like that's sort of what we're doing now we're just taking very old oral tradition stories it's just that we happen to be keeping most of the words the same and we're doing it with interpretation and sort of nuance and cinematography rather than by actually just changing the words. But really what we're doing is the same thing, which is we're, we're turning the same stories that humans have been telling each other for forever into the stories we need them to be now. I think there's also like a shared cultural, like everyone has to study Shakespeare at school, Like we all have to. And I think that's really good because it says that, you know, Shakespeare is not, it's not this elitist thing. It's not something that, you know, only people who are very interested in 
obscure Jacobean plays might be interested in or love <laughs> blank verse. It's like, no, this is for everybody. Everybody is capable of understanding this. If it's like, you know, made interesting to them, they'll be interested by it. And I guess I, I really like that about it because when sometimes people say, oh, you know, why don't we study other Jacobean playwrights? Or, you know, what about Ben Johnson? He was just as good or Kit Marlowe or something. It's like, well, yeah, but there's there's something really powerful about everybody having the opportunity mm. to study this and it, it not being out of reach for anybody. Like, mm, yeah. it's not... It's not for any one particular group of people. Exactly, and that's really culturally powerful as well, that we've got these kinds of touchstones, even if it was, like, hammered into your brain when you were 14 and absolutely furious about it. Like, it does mean that we've got this kind of thing that we do share. Although, I would say, like, one of the biggest barriers that I used to find when I was teaching, like, I used to teach the GCSE resit class, Romeo and Juliet, and the biggest barrier I found, which is, like, the difference between this is going to work and this isn't, was ownership. Like... Because everyone who had got a D the previous year was just like, this is nothing to do with me. These lessons are nothing to do with me. And so, like, I I used to do, I, I basically didn't go anywhere near the text for the first three lessons, usually, because I was just like, I have to, I have to persuade you that this is yours, because if if it's yours, you won't mind that the language is a little bit difficult to access. But if it isn't, you're not going to go anywhere near it. Like, and and if you can just get people to understand that, well, that you're right, Imogen, that it's it's ours, it's everyone's, it's not for any particular group, it's supposed to be for all all of us, then it becomes that, basically. You know, if you know it's for you, you can understand it. I like I have a few ideas, um and like one one particularly one hot take. <laughs> like I very much agree that a lot of a lot of it comes down to how mutable a lot of these plays are. Like it's the only ones that take place in London are his histories. All the others are set in like, like it says, oh, it's Florence or it's Verona, but or it's ancient Rome, but it's it's not. It's just the stage. So, like, I think there is this. I think Shakespeare's plays do lend themselves to keeping going and not being quite as thoroughly tied to the place and context of their original performance as something like p- people like Marlowe or Webster or Johnson, which tended, which, in my experience, do tend to be a, a bit more tied to, to the the where and, and the when. I mean, Merch the Venice, no canals. Like, yeah. he's <laughs> <this, this> <laughs> never I... been to Venice, never <laughs> been to Italy. It's just like, you're right, it's just, it's... It's a place. It's another place. Mm. I also have a pub reckon that it is... I think there is a lot of it that is actually to do with quantity. Uh, just that Shakespeare is... He is a he is a very, very popular playwright of the time that we have loads of. Like, most of his contemporaries... Like, most of his contemporaries, we have, like, a half dozen plays of which there's one good. <laughs> and whereas Shakespeare, we've got we've got loads... And a bunch of them are crackers. We are now well over time, but my fancy has been taken by something that you said earlier, which is I want us as a final, final thing before we say goodbye to try and name as many Shakespeare plays as we can, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, oh, all right. Midsummer Night's Dream. Love's <sighs> Labour's Lost. Coriolanus. Two Gentlemen of Verona. Hamlet. Uh, Macbeth. Othello. Merry Wives of Windsor. Russian Venice. All's Well That Ends Well. Much Do About Nothing. Measure for Measure. As You Like It, Twelfth Night. Romeo and Juliet. Timon of Athens. A Winter's Tale. The Tempest. Titus Andronicus. King Lear. Have we said Comedy of Errors? Oh, we need to be more systematic about this. Henry the Fourth, Part One. Henry the Fourth, Part Two. Henry the Fifth. Henry the Fifth. 
Was there a Henry the <laughs> um, Sixth? There was probably a Henry the Sixth. Oh, there must have been. He wouldn't have missed one out, would he? Did we did we say Richard the Third? Pericles. Cymbeline. King John. All right, all right. That's a, <laughs> Lori's making frantic wrap-it-up uh, motions, so we <laughs> shall do that. Listener, thank you if for... If Lori wanted us to wrap it up, Lori should have been writing them down. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stay here all night until Lori writes them down. Oh, did anyone say the taming of the shrew? No. no. Oh, no. Venice on that but we've got yeah. to stop. We have to stop. I said, I said oh, Romeo and Juliet. We are ending this. I regret. <laughs> I regret starting this little game. <laughs> Listener, you can play this game at home. But <laughs> we don't though. Um, I hope that you have enjoyed listening to us waffle on about Shakespeare. Uh- Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello all, it's Helen here, the voice of Azu from Rusty Quill Gaming and the host and director of Enthusiasm. Today, I'm here to tell you about The Program. The Program audio series is a science fiction anthology podcast set in a world where money, state, and God are fused into a single entity. Every episode is a standalone story featuring ordinary people inhabiting this extraordinary world. And for them, it's not the future that is terrifying, but our present. The programme is sometimes funny, sometimes poignant, but it is always smart. Find out more about the programme at www.rustyquill.com or www.programaudioseries.com or search for The Programme Audio Series wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have fun and enjoy the episode. Um, I shall see you in the next episode, but for now, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from all my lovely, lovely guests. Thank you for coming on. Would you all like to say goodbye? Goodbye. <laughs> Enthusiasm is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 4.0 International License. It is directed by Helen Gould, produced by Lori Ann Davis, with executive producers Alexander J. Newell and April Sumner. This episode of Enthusiasm was edited by Maddie Searle and Kathy Ranella. Thanks for listening. <laughs>